What's up, Sober Family? Welcome to I Kissed Alcohol Goodbye, the podcast for newly sober people learning to love ourselves instead of booze. I would say to try to do the same challenge that I did, which is try to grow spiritually. Like, what would happen if you tried? Because I can say, like, ever since that was said to me and where I'm at now, it's been a huge, huge growth. So I would, I would encourage that to try to challenge yourself to spiritually grow and just see where you can, where it takes you. Today, our guest is Carly Reed. She's the author of the newly released book, Human Behind the Map. It's about her 14-year struggle with mental health, addiction, and body dysmorphia. Carly is almost 10 months sober, and she joins us today to share not only her story of how she got to sobriety, but how she sustained it, and also found the courage to write a book and to share her story publicly. I'm your host, Dana Kroll. I'm a former Army chaplain who struggled with alcohol after leaving the military in 2015. After a roller coaster of recoveries, rock bottoms, and relapses, I finally found my way out of the crazy cycle by connecting with people like you. After kissing alcohol goodbye, my goal is to never go back, but I can't do it alone, so let's break up with booze together. With me in the studio is always our Al K. Hallfree, my spirit animal for sobriety, and Spruce, my PTSD service dog, and we are ready to get rolling here with Carly. Carly, uh, thanks for joining us on the show, and we're looking forward to hearing your story. So basically, my story is having addiction issues for 14 years of my life, ever since the first time I touched alcohol, um, and then just fighting that for years, and also kind of the way that our society is and everything, and music, and movies, and the things that are glorified when you're, especially when you're young and growing up, like, um, in my twenties, I'm 32 now, by the way. So, you know, it started in my teens and then it just went into my twenties and then it started to go into my thirties. And that's when it got really bad where it was like, this is actually a problem. Whereas I had the excuse of, well, I'm in high school, I'm in college, I'm do, you know, and then it was like, well, it's a weekend. It's a, there was always an excuse that I could find and the sun was shining and there was, <laughs> it was reason to drink or drug. So that over the years, just progressing into where it became, it was not recreational. It became a lifestyle. And then I really realized, I always knew it was a problem deep down because it was like a days and months would go by. And it was like, when was the last time I didn't use? Mm. When was the last time? And I couldn't remember. So that's when I knew that there was a problem was when I couldn't recollect the last time I used. And usually only the only last time that I would have you would not have used would have been when I was hungover or debilitated the next day and to and even on those days that would that would still be how I got through the day so yeah you know and mine wasn't just drink drinking it was drugging too so I had both I had both of those things that were addiction for me is huge like right now I'm trying to get over smoking cigarettes like I just I, I love those vices and I always Mm. have, and I've been running from things. And that's the scariest part about sobriety is once you get rid of that mind altering substance, whatever that may be, you're now stuck to face all of those demons and everything that you're from. And, you know, I don't, some people run for decades, some people run their whole lives, but it's like, you know, I've been running for 14 years. So I feel like I have 14 years of bandage or, you know, healing to do um, because 
I haven't dealt with issues or problems or real life sober before. So this is all, and I'm 10, I'm going to be 10 months sober in eight days. So I'm about nine and a half now. And to say that at age 32 is absolutely crazy, but I'm, I just have to be grateful that I stopped it when I did. And there's days where I'm just like, I'm not grateful. And I'm, you know, I have those cravings and I'm like, I have that whole YOLO mentality, uh, total millennial mentality, kind of like you only live once, but you know, that doesn't mean you know, I just apply it to the wrong things. Um, and that's my fault. I don't want to blame it on a, a generational thing or whatever. I take ownership for that because just because people say that doesn't mean that you apply it towards drinking and drugging. No, that's, but that's what, how I've applied it and that's wrong. So I realize that now and, you know, that's, it's hard to get through, but I've actually been doing, which we talked a little bit about my book. So I've been writing a lot ever since I've been in recovery, just writing. So whenever I get a craving or whenever I get triggered or when I'm feeling uncomfortable feelings, I write. And what I've realized is while writing those uncomfortable feelings, like when I start writing, I'm realizing all those things that I've buried because I'll start and I'm, and I'm realizing addiction isn't the problem. It was the solution for a lot of other problems. So that's been my biggest like eye opener is like, okay, this wasn't addiction. Yeah, it's a problem, but it was also a huge solution for a lot of problems that I was running from. Like I realized like, you know, I have really bad. And I know you said your, um, your audience is mostly female. So I'm sure that they'll be able to relate to this by, and especially in the world we live in social media, everything that you see, you get to see people, you see their lives, you see, you know, they're, we don't post pictures in our pajamas looking like crap, you know, it's like the best, you know, it's, it's your best life. And I have really bad body dysmorphia. And, um, a lot of my, substance use came with, you know, I, I know I have an addiction problem, but a lot of that was to suppress appetite, you know? So that was one, one thing that was, I openly admit to that. I think admitting that, um, can help a lot of people, even though it's really hard for me to say, and it's really hard for me to admit, but it's the truth. Um, and I think that there's a lot of other people out there that may have dipped and dabbled in different, you know, drugs or alcohol as a way of, well, this will help me not eat, or this will, you know, be my calories and that kind of thinking. I don't, so that's a really dark place that, so a lot of the writing in my book has to do with uh, body dysmorphia, which was something I was running from, which I didn't realize until I got sober, where it was like, hold on, wait a minute. This was, this was a big problem. And I was using, you know, drugs and alcohol to get through it. So that, and then another one was um, mental health, which, I found out, um, you know, just things with my mental health, borderline personality disorder. So that explains a lot of the usage and the different substances being used as well, because I think, you know, you use different substances to subside feelings that you don't want to feel. And those feelings that are brought on when you have a mental disorder that you don't realize you have, that's pretty intense. And you don't realize like, that's the problem and alcohol and drugs were the was I was trying to make those the solution and they aren't so my book touches on mental health um you know the borderline personality disorder and all sorts of mental health like comparison and just not 
being enough and um, body dysmorphia, which kind of ties into that whole not enough thing. Not It's all about finding your self-worth and feeling your self-worth because I think when you're drinking and drugging or you're using, you're not really accepting yourself as you are. Like I have to, like I have hard days, but I have to accept my feelings now and I have to accept how I feel and um, where those feelings are coming from. And I can't run from them anymore. So I think a lot of it. So my, anyway, my book has to do with those three topics, which is mental health, addiction, and um, body dysmorphia. All of my, so all my poetry came from that. So if I would, you know, I would write whenever I was having a bad day and those were the topics that kept coming up where it was like, I felt like I was wearing, I felt like I was wearing a mask or something. And it was like, or I just felt like I wasn't me. Like, it was like, what is this? What is like, you wake up and you don't know what feeling you're going to have. And it's a scary feeling. And it's like admitting that and, and being accepting those parts about myself and embracing that I'm having a lot of grace for my decade and a half of addiction, because I'm realizing those are really hard things to handle. And those are things that I wasn't aware of. And now I'm aware and I'm doing something about it. And that's all I can really do is just worry about the present. And I don't share my past because I, to play victim or to woe is me, I share it because I think it's really powerful because I think that there's a lot of other people out there who are running from things that might not realize it. And it's, if you stop running and just face those things, you're going to, you know, you'll feel that fulfillment and that void start to, uh, you know, I don't know that that void is ever going to be really filled for me. Um, it's always kind of been there, but it's starting to fill in a little more since sobriety. I do know that. And very faith-based. I was definitely, um, I, you know, I'm a big believer and that's been huge for me in filling that void and, um, scripture and write. So scripture and writing have really, I think, saved me and helped me accept myself in sobriety. And I go on these podcasts and I talked with host some people like yourself, because I, you know, I, uh, the way I see it is even if you have two listeners, you know, it doesn't matter. Just one person might listen and hear me and hear my story. And it might just make them think differently and in a more positive way or a more accepting way of themselves. And I don't expect somebody to listen to me and be like, oh, I'm going to get sober now. But I do think that they might have one positive thought based off what I said that could be one step in that direction. And I think every step counts, you know, so every little bit of information that you take, like what I realized for getting sober was it wasn't just one event that happened. It's a whole plethora of them (laughs) that occur. And then finally that day comes where you're like, okay, I'm going to do it. So I'm just hoping with, by sharing my story that I can be one little stepping stone for somebody else to get to that point. That's awesome. Uh, And tell me, you know, about some of those steps in the right direction for you. Like, where did they start? You know, when did you start to notice? I know you mentioned you couldn't remember the last day that you hadn't used. What were some other moments along the way that maybe created uh, this started to change that trajectory of your path towards that decision 10 almost 10 months ago when you uh, were able to stop? The one that really comes to mind for me was um, the night I met my girlfriend. That was a big game changer for me. And she, it's because she's a drummer and she was on stage drumming at a bar. I was 
out of my mind, not like just, you know, hat partying. I mean, I was partying hard that night and she got on stage and was drumming and she didn't get on stage until like 1130 um, at night and was drumming. And then she like rocked out, like, I mean, rocked the whole building. It was insane, the her talent. And I was just blown away by it. And then anyway, so we're in a bar scene and she's a drummer. So we, we don't even meet that night, but I was just blown away by her talent and everything. And so I, you know, stalked her on Instagram and um, I saw that she was sober. And here it is the next day, it's 830 or something in the morning, and I'm already plotting my next fix. Mm. And I'm kind of like, how can she get on the stage and be sober and rock out at a bar? And I have to, and I'm waking up like thinking about when I'm getting, you know what I mean? My next, my next chance to use. And that for me was eye opening. And that's when I realized like, well, I always knew I had a problem, but that's when I realized I can, I can do it. Like I can get sober. Awesome. So it was seeing somebody who struggled with the same, a similar problem with addiction and seeing them months. I think when, I think she was eight months sober at that time, but somebody and had turned everything around and was, you know, at a, I mean, I couldn't even, I couldn't even be sober to watch the band, much less be. So for me, that's the one thing that comes to mind was that mo- aha moment where you're like, okay, I, I can, I can do that too. If that person can do it, I can do it. But it was seeing it. Like, I don't think I don't think that if I were to have come across her on Instagram or if I would have heard, I don't think it would have had that same effect as being present and seeing somebody in their element and in you're in your, like I was in my element, I was at the bar. I mean, you know, so, but seeing the way that she was able to be in that environment and be sober and, and stay sober. Like, it's not like she went out drinking after the afterwards, she went home, she takes, takes, takes it seriously. So I just thought that was really cool. And for me, that definitely opened my eyes because I was like, okay, I have a huge problem because I can't even like attend this band sober and this band, you know, somebody up on that stage is sober. So for me, it was seeing it being there that was a game changer where I started to think. And then that morning, um, my friend took me to a church to took me to church and they said at church, it kind of all the way it all happened was very like, I'll never forget the way that I got sober. And it was seeing that it was the next morning waking up with the waking up with a booming headache and wondering when am I going to get my next fix and then not getting that fix, but going because I was out of town. So I went to church and then at church, they they gave you a challenge to what would happen if you chose to grow spiritually or if you, and I have chose right now, because it was so, for me, I really thought about it. And I was like, well, in order for me to do that, I would have to be sober. So it was after that, that I just, and I didn't get sober right away. It took time, but I, that was, that's what initiated it. And that's what pushed me in that direction that propelled me to start to try. And it was really hard. I had to wean off of stuff. Like it was not, it wasn't an easy, just, okay, that's it. I'm going to give it. No, it took, and I, my first months of sobriety, I, some people say they pink cloud. It took me months to pink cloud. Like I'm, Three months, I was I was hating it. I was hating life. I did not enjoy it. Um, but it's so worth it. It was worth 
it was so worth it. And um, that's actually what my book says on the dedication page. It says um, a written memoir of spiritual growth through recovery. Glory be to God, because that was it was that morning after watching um, my girlfriend rock out on stage sober and then go to church and they say, what would happen if you chose to spiritually grow? And then so I made the decision to try and it took it took, you know, like I said, I wasn't perfect right away. I I had some slip ups, but I was trying. I was really, really trying. How did you stick with it for through through those first few months? Because some people don't don't get the pink cloud in it. And that that really sucks that someone who felt great right away. Like, I feel I mean, I feel grateful for it, but I also am in awe and admiration for people who uh, don't get that yet persevere in it. What do you think was critical to your success in pushing through that? Because that's a big, that's a big mountain to climb after, you know, a lot of years. It was so hard. Um, for me, I had to tell on it. It's a disease and I had to, I had to be honest. I had to tell, I had to tell like my family, like I had to be, I just had to, I started like having word vomit, like, (laughs) When, and that's what help, helped hold me accountable because they then they knew like I really because I had said I've I've attempted sobriety before I was I went in detox and came out of detox and I tried to get sober. I lied about it to a lot of people. Um, I was not sober at all. And um, so that was an epic fail. And I think for the first time, people around me realized like I was serious because I was I was telling them like I want and I was ex- I was honest about my struggle because when I was lying about it the first time that I got clean good thing the video you yeah. see my <laughs> for the, the first time I got clean I was like playing everything off like it was everything's good I'm great blah 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 I was acting like I was doing good and getting through it. And I knew I was acting because I was actually lying about it. So now this time around, I was on brutally honest. Like it was like, no, I want, I'm, I want to whatever it was, just say it. And then I would go to a meeting or I'd call somebody. Um, but it was, it was being open and honest about, and I, uh, I call it telling on the disease. So I would, I would really, I would tell on it. And, you know, I would have to kind of trigger warning to my family, like, Hey, this isn't going to be easy. I'm going to, you know, say some things, but they knew my heart was in a good place. Like, because I was openly struggling, I was openly like having those bad days and I still do. And I'll tell my, you know, I'll tell my parents, I'll tell my dad, my dad calls and it's like, how are you doing? I'll be like, I want to, go to a bar right now, you know, like I'm, I'll say it. And if I'm doing good, I'll be honest about doing good. So I think for me, sobriety and honesty has helped hold me accountable. Being open and honest with the people I love and trust about how I'm really feeling really helps validate the disease and um, my ability to get through it with a support system. Because I wouldn't, you know, um, something I've learned is the opposite of addiction is connection. Because when you're in addiction, you're ice. I was completely isolated, um, and now I connect with people more. And I, my connection with people is how I stay sober. 
Um, cause when you isolate, or at least for me, when I isolate, that's when my brain starts to go to like, Oh, you know, it's not that bad. Like I can have, I can have one and no one, you know, mm-hmm. what they don't know won't hurt them. Kind of. <laughs> but it's hurt. It's going to hurt me because I don't want to have to do this time frame again, where I'm trying you see my cat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Where I'm trying to get back to 10 months again. And, you know, every day is a battle every single day I have to work through it. And, um, but you know, some days are easier than others. Some days I'm really grateful for it. Other days I'm like, man, I just want to give up, but Mm -hmm. I don't. And, and what made you, um, want to be so public about, about it? Because, you know, writing a book about mental health, addiction and body dysmorphia is something that, you know, takes a lot of courage to do, uh, even under circumstances where you've been sober for a long time, but especially so early on, what made you, what was your thought process behind the, you know, the writing obviously was helpful for you, but why share it publicly? Well, few things. First of all, I'm an artist, so I create and I love to paint. I love to, I now write poetry. I design for a living. Um, I do, I photography modeling. So part of being an artist is you create and then you want to share. And all of it just so happened that everything I was creating revolved around my sobriety. And it all was from so much pain that I had had built up for years that was just like pouring out of me into these artistic endeavors, such as like, I would do a painting that had to do with you know, something dark or a poem that had to do with something addiction, you know, addiction isn't sun peach. It's not sunshine, peaches and rainbows. Addiction is a dark place. So I knew that by sharing my stuff, it wasn't going to be like a happy, you know, slap happy audience. It was going to, and that wasn't my goal. My goal was to share my pain with others and to show how beautiful it can be because I've created some of my most beautiful work from all the pain. And I think that if people can just believe in themselves and embrace their flaws, which is what I had to do, like to get on here and tell you like, oh, I have body dysmorphia problem and this mental disorder, like that's not easy for me, but I do it because I think it can help somebody. I know it can help somebody. And um, I think it can, the more people can embrace themselves as authentically as they can, like this is who I am. This is my, instead of trying to put a mask on and seem perfect and everything's great. And I don't have this issue. Like it's okay. It's, it's okay. If you have issues with mental health, it's okay. If you don't like the way you look, you know, you don't. So I think for me, it's kind of, uh, I kind of just with my sobriety, I just took a mask off and just kind of opened up my heart and said, here's who I am. Here's how I am. And I'm proud of it. And that was, you know, that's hard to do because some days I'm not as proud as, you know, I would like to be. But um, I think a lot of it has to do with being an artist and wanting to share the beautiful work that I've made from a lot of pain um, to give others hope. And then also holding myself accountable, because if I didn't share out loud, I don't think that I would still be sober. And I have respect for people who want to handle it in private that, you know, um, I get that. Uh, but like I said, being an artist and somebody who created a lot, like I wrote some really beautiful poetry, I've done really beautiful paintings, and there's a message behind and a story behind all of them. 
And I think that anybody that comes across it can be moved by it. So that's kind of the way I see it is I'm sharing art. I'm not really sharing to be a public figure or any, I'm just an artist behind some really screwed up art piece, some art that came from some really screwed up places. <laughs> I think that when you have a creative outlet, when you ha- when you have so much pain you're coming from, I think it's so good to have a creative way to express it and to get it out because then you can face it allows you to face it. Like when I'm writing, I'm I'm facing and I'm and I'm really writing and I'm like, whoa, like, you know, um, there's some things I write that I'm just like, if I were to read it from somebody and like if some Susie Cream Cheese were to tell me she wrote this poem or whatever, I'd be like, wow, she has some she needs a magazine rack, got some issues like, you know, (laughs) that's exactly what my art is. And I'm just I just see it as I'm holding myself accountable and um, I'm sharing my art with the world. And I think it gives people hope. And, um, you know, the thing is, not everyone's going to like it, but not everyone has to read it or look at it. And that's okay because there's things that I don't care for that I don't read or look at. But I've sobriety's had me come from just such a loving place with like good intentions for my work that I don't really worry about how others are going to perceive it. Um, you talked a lot about mask, uh, you know, having a mask that you're taking off and there being a void. Um, where do you think some of those things came from? Uh, I'm, I'm curious, like I'm a, I'm a 1980 baby, you know, you were born in the early nineties. Uh, we grew up at the end of the 20th century in the beginning of, the 21st and when we were coming of age and it's an interesting time in, in global history, but also for, for our own country. Like, what do you think were some of the things that contributed to that mask and that void in the first place? Um, Definitely the way it's glorified. I feel like there's, it's seen as uh, like drinking and drugging, like you hear about it in songs and things. And, so for me, I was very influenced at a young age by the things I was seeing. And I was also like, I can't completely blame, you know, because we all see things, but I was very curious. I've always been a very curious and like very enticed by things. Like if you tell me not to do something, like I want to know why I want to like, it's like, don't look that way. It's like, why? Like, and then I like look that way. So I think for me, just being extremely curious and then kind of just the way society uh, was and is like, you know, it's 4th of July, we got to, you know, there's big parties, there's a lot of alcohol, you know, Memorial Day, you, Christmas, even whatever it is, Easter, I mean, you name it, it was, it was just kind of a reason to that alcohol was around. And so for me, and I don't want to, I, I don't, I don't want to blame anyone or anything for, for my addiction and my issues with addiction. So I think for me, it's just that curious kind of, you know, just kind of, that's kind of what got me into it. And then I think liking it and then kind of, and then not knowing how to pull away from it. And then the void that just made the void get bigger and bigger. And now, and, you know, I don't think that I feel like everybody, I don't know if everybody does, but I've always felt like I have a void because you're, I mean, that's kind of what life is about. You're kind of seeking and learning yourself and growing. And um, so I always felt like there was something more, something, a missing like puzzle piece that I was searching for kind of thing. And I was trying to find it in drinking and drugging. And that wasn't 
my answer to my puzzle piece. So I just think that gap got bigger over time. And now that I'm getting healthier, it's starting to, I can feel it like it's getting more full because I'm filling it with life, with lively things. I'm filling it with connection. I'm filling it with, you know, I'm trying to do all the right things to fill it in the right ways, which I never made that effort before. Where do you see yourself in five or 10 or 20 years uh, in sobriety? What what are some of the things that you look forward to in, in your development? Well, I think um, I want to have a family. So I think being a really good mom, um, a good, for me, it's all about, it's become all about the way I've connected, I can connect with people now. I think I'll be a really like I like a good daughter, a good my sister's getting married in um, April, so you know a good aunt, um, a good friend, a good partner, all of those things that were kind of lacking before because all I cared about was feeling good, mm-hmm. you know. And now it's like no, I don't want to. I'm not always going to feel good. I but I do always want to be good. And that's okay. it. So I'm that's my new goal is to be good, not just feel good. Cause you know, you're gonna have bad days. You're gonna have those are emotions. You're gonna go up and down. So for me, it's trying to be my best self. And that's allowing me to be a good friend, good partner, good sister, good daughter, you know, all of that stuff. So I think just I'm excited to see how my connections grow now that I have genuine and pure. Like I'm starting this, I'm really excited this weekend. I'm starting to volunteer at a church, which I haven't done that ever in my life. And I'm like super excited about it and growing in that and just growing constantly um, with people and towards people and for good causes. And, you know, I'm excited because I feel I just, I've just kind of let go of trying to control everything. And I'm kind of just, you know, letting my life play out and it's turning out really beautifully. That's awesome. I think I'm out of questions. Uh, Is there anything else that you want to cover that maybe we didn't get a chance to? No, but I would say that I really want you to share your poetry with me once you uh, write that because you said you were a vet. So you have some stuff from the war and everything. I mean, that, yeah, that's going to be some really interesting stuff to read. And you should consider doing a book or something with your experience. Yeah, I I will. And uh, I mean, I I will absolutely share it with you. As for the book, I don't know. I I think I need to get over the, the mental hump of being willing to share it with other veterans to see what they think and not, and being okay either way, even if they're like, Oh, this, this is great that you were, I'm cause I mean, my friends that would still all be like, Oh, this is great that you wrote this for you. But if they're, you know, even if they're not like, uh, you know, Oh, you should publish this. Uh, even if they just say, okay, good job for writing it. I think there's just this hesitation that we writers have about sharing it. Right. Yeah. I mean, I feel that too. I felt that with my book, but um, that's something I have to, I had to let go of was fear. When you let go of fear and you just think of why am I doing this? Like I had to really ask myself like, why? Like, is it worth it? Like, is people are going to be, you know, I don't know. I didn't do it to be a, it's not like I'm JK Rowling or a huge author, but like people might review it. And what if I see a review that upsets me? Cause somebody's like, oh, this, it's like a five-year-old wrote it or something. Who, who knows? The world is not a nice place. So yeah. I have those fears too, but I have to just realize at the end of the day, like 
like the title, like I am human. So if I made a typo or a mistake in there or somebody doesn't like the way it's written or whatever the reason is, or maybe somebody recognizes an experience in there and thinks, oh, well, I experienced that a little differently. <laughs> like, you know, I don't know what who's going to read it or what they're going to think, but I'm putting it out there to help people. And it's it's my art. So as long as your intentions are pure and good, it doesn't matter what other people think. Okay. I just worry about it being too dark. <laughs> a lot of it's like, I, I went through the list of things that was like, oh, that one's about death. This one's, oh, that's from a death. This one's from a death. Oh, that one was about a death. Like, <laughs> like oh my gosh, man. Like, I don't want to be, I don't want to be a downer, you know, like I, but. Well, I, yeah. Well, it's funny because my, my parents are proud of me for my book, but my dad hasn't read it. And my mom, my mom said my dad was like, Carly's book came out we, like we got to buy a copy for everybody in the family for Christmas. And my mom said she literally she just stopped and looked at him and said, have you read this book? <laughs> She's like, this is like we're going to depress everybody at Christmas. And I didn't take offense to it because it is it's yeah. about addiction. It's not meant to be, you know, it's not a happy book. It is because it's about also finding the light through addiction. It's a written memoir of the spiritual growth I experienced. But um, I just thought it was funny because it's like, yeah, this isn't a Christmas present for my like people who aren't addicts or can't relate, yeah. you know? Yeah. And I guess that's what I have to remember is if I'm writing it for, I'm writing it primarily for myself, but I'm also, you know, if I share it, the idea is to encourage other veterans that like, if you have feelings like these, then you're not alone. So I, I want to thank you again for just the inspiration and encouragement you provided for me. And I know that you've encouraged a lot of people uh, with, I know this isn't a big show, but hey, like you said, it doesn't matter how many people listen to it, even if it's just uh, one person that hears this and is encouraged to continue just on. One stepping stone. Yeah, one stepping stone. And that might be uh, might be the title of the episode. Although I, I love, I had to tell on it. I, I just wrote that down and put stars by it because it, it's that was such a good um, way of putting it that I haven't heard before. It's so true because, you know, I see a lot of things where sobriety looks like glamorous and like everything's great. And it's like, that is not my experience. My experience was very rough getting yeah. sober, clouding all of that. That took, that took time. Well, I'm uh, not glad that it took time for you, but I'm glad that you're, that you've made it through that to share for others that are early on, you know, this is the podcast for newly sober people who are learning to love ourselves instead of booze. And, you know, I'm, I'm coming up on in a couple months, I'll be at two years. And that's still new. You know, it's still new. Uh, I, I still consider myself newly sober, because I yeah. I've spent much more of my life drinking than than not drinking. And yeah. so um, thank you again for encouraging uh, for encouraging those folks. And what would your parting shot be to uh, if you had one thing to say to newly sober people out there, what would you say? I would say to try to do the same challenge that I did, which is try to grow spiritually. Like what would happen if you tried? Because I can say like ever since that was said to me and where I'm at now, it's been a huge, huge growth. So I would, I would encourage that to try to challenge yourself to spiritually grow and just see where you can, where it takes you. I think the the title of the episode just changed to what would happen if you tried like that's I, yeah. I I think that might actually capture everything that you've said yeah it wasn't easy when I I had to try and it, 
I messed up a lot and I wasn't, I didn't get clean right away. It wasn't possible. Yeah. Um, but it did happen. Stepping stones, little baby steps, like every day, you know, a little less using. Yeah. And, and and some people, and and it's good that you share that too, that detail as well, because for some people, you know, it's like cold Turkey is just not possible. And that's, and maybe that's okay. Like I live in a very black and white mind that is like, either you drink or you don't. And, you know, there, maybe there is that transition time and it's, maybe that's okay. I had to have it and I had to have transition time for me. And, um, the first time that I tried it without transition time, it didn't, it didn't work. I couldn't go from, I couldn't, I couldn't. So I don't encourage it for everybody. I I encourage people to do what's healthiest for them. But, um, like I said, it's it's all about little steps. If you're taking a step every day, that's all that matters. Maybe it's one less drink or one, you know, something's taking you towards, that goal of getting sober, which is what I had. I just knew I couldn't get to it like that day that I wanted it. This this has been awesome. Um, Carly, how can people get a hold, get in touch with you? What's the best way to reach out? Um, Well, my Instagram is Carly and Marie Reed. um, And I have my book that's on Amazon. It's called Human Behind the Mask. And I have a website where I put, I uh, have a little collection of all of my work that I do, my paintings, my poetry. It's called carlyreadcreations.com. Perfect. Carly, thank you so much for sharing time with us. Thank you so much. Have a good thank night. You. Okay, you too. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of I Kissed Alcohol Goodbye. Until next time, Al, Bruce, Carly, and I send you all of our love and we say goodbye alcohol. Hello, life. Much love to you all and peace.